Welcome to the Late Night Fright right here on WKMF, Cozy Corner Public Radio. It is midnight, the witching hour. Thank you so much for keeping us company here on the Graveyard Shift. I am Dan, and with me, as always, is my crankshaft co-host, Faith. Say hi, Faith. Hi, Faith. You're one lovely crankshaft, Faith. (laughs) So before we get started, Faith, let me ask this question. How is the global pandemic treating you? I'm dying. No, I'm not. <laughs> no, I'm not. Uh, it, I'm totally fine. How are you? I'm totally fine. <laughs> I'm totally fine. To all of you out there who may be worried or are not totally fine, we're sending you good vibes. Yes. In the words of Prince from that 1984 hit, Let's Go Crazy, we're not going to let the elevator bring us down. No. That's it. So if you're a first-time listener, thank you so much for choosing to spend a little time with us here in Cozy Corner. If you're a return listener, thank you so much for your continued support. We know you have a lot of options as to how you spend your time, and we are so glad you've chosen to spend a little of it with us. If you feel so inclined, please give us a rating and review on iTunes. It helps us get the word out on the show, and we both greatly appreciate it. And we would like to add, please stay safe during all of this. It's a little crazy out there right now hopefully sometime in the future maybe uh you know you listen to this show in the future after all of this is over and we're having a good laugh about all this right yes yes stay safe don't get killed getting toilet paper toilet paper there you go (laughs) so uh we're going to continue on here on the show we continue with john carpenter month so far we have covered the fog escape from new york and the thing Months back, we did a show on his 1978 masterpiece, Halloween, and that show, along with all the other Carpenter episodes, are available wherever podcasts are found. Tonight's film from 1983 dares to ask the question, Faith, what happens when the Prince of Darkness, John Carpenter, and the Master of the Macabre, Stephen King, get together to tell the story of an undersexed geek in his killer car? What do you get, Faith? You get Christine. That's a question all of the great seekers throughout history have asked. Absolutely. You look up the sacred scriptures. It's it's in there. We are going to talk about that film and maybe some other things. But first, we have a bit of business, don't we, Faith? What time is it? It's time for the news. Time for the news. Lucius Morningstar is using the global pandemic to keep residents of neighboring town Pine Junction out of Cozy Corner. In a statement to WKMF, Mayor Morningstar said, This has nothing to do with any virus. This has everything to do with the fact that I don't like those jagoffs. I don't like their jagoff faces, and I don't like their jagoff attitudes. Everything is always sunshine and gun drops in Pine Junction, and I hate that jagoff crap. Eat me, Pine Junction, and stay out of Cozy Corner. Hard words from a hard man. 
If you've been out shopping recently, you've probably noticed something is missing from store shelves. Toilet paper. That's right, there's been a run on the stuff you turn to when you have the runs. I don't want to play conspiracy theorist, but could this new pandemic be the work of the robber barons at the toilet paper companies? It's just another thing that makes you go, hmm. True. Also, you could use a washcloth and just wash it's possible. It. Mayor Brock Brinlow of Pine Junction just went on television to address Mayor Morningstar's travel ban on residents of Pine Junction to Cozy Corner. Mayor Brinlow apparently extended his middle finger and added, Sit and spin, Lucius. Sit and spin. Harder words from an even harder man. Finally, I'd like to retract my previous statement about this pandemic being due to the efforts of the robber barons at the toilet paper companies. I misspoke, and I do indeed apologize. I would also like to thank Cozy Comfort, one of our main contributors here at Cozy Corner Public Radio. Cozy Comfort is like wiping your butt with a cloud. Cozy Comfort, the coziest bathroom tissue for all your corners. Cozy Comfort, available again soon in a store near you. I am very sorry. And that is the news. Well, we are in the middle of a pandemic, but we are not going to let the elevator bring us down, are we, Faith? No, we're not. We've got John Carpenter. We've got Stephen King. We've got a vintage car, and we've got one of the babes from Baywatch. What have we got, Faith? We've got Christine. I am Dan. And I am Faith. And we'll see you on the other side. Five. 
five and six ply. Our six ply now even has a coat about it. That's right, it's like running your asshole through a car wash. So, Dan, that is just very irresponsible of you to even insinuate that we had anything to do with that. We are barring you for life from using Cozy Comfort toilet paper, and we think that you should go to Pine Junction with all the other jagoffs. Welcome back to the Late Night Fright right here on WKMF Cozy Corner Public Radio. We're coming up on about 10 minutes after midnight, 10 minutes into the witching hour. And apparently I have stirred up a hornet's nest with the <laughs> robber barons at the toilet paper company. I have been barred from life from using Cozy Comfort. Faith is going to be nice enough to get me some of that, though. When I feel like running my asshole through a car wash with their six ply that apparently has some kind of coat on it. I guess it's for buffing. I, I guess. Means. I, I don't know. Well, thank you all out there for keeping us company here on the Graveyard Shift. I am Dan. And I am Faith. John Carpenter Month continues with his 1983 film, Christine. This is a film he was hired on as a director and has said that he didn't have a personal stake in it and felt it was something he needed to do for his career at the time after the box office failure of The Thing. We covered the critical reactions to the thing in the episodes that we did on that film. And if you haven't listened to those episodes, please do. Uh, I think they're really good. But the critical reactions to the thing were just, how would you describe them, Faith? Oh, just <laughs> disturbing, yeah. really. It was so <laughs> reviled. Um, so he felt he needed to do this after that. He lost the three picture deal with Universal. This was offered to him as a return to horror. He thought it was a good idea. Then you've got uh, Stephen King involved in it. So this is from the novel of the same name from Stephen King. We've covered him on the show before. We have an episode on the very good 1990 film Misery from director Rob Reiner that is available. Uh, we both really enjoyed that film. And we have episodes on The Shining and Dr. Sleep. And spoiler alert. We're planning on doing a Stephen King month here on the show, aren't we? Yes, we are. <laughs> a full month of Stephen King. It's going to be good. As the kid shirt in the Monster Squad says, Stephen King rules. <laughs> yes. There you go. Here with a synopsis of Christine is the WKMF Cozy Corner Public Radio mainframe computer. Take it away, mainframe. Okay, all of you gearheads and crankshafts, here I come with a synopsis of this movie. Gentlemen, start your engines. In 1957, while that song Bad to the Bone is playing over the soundtrack, the titular vehicle is born on an assembly line in the Plymouth factory in Detroit. Titular. That's a funny word. Titular. Ha ha. So anyway, Christine tries to eat some dude's hand with her hood and she also kills this assembly line worker who sits in her and has the stones to ash his big, nasty cigar on her plastic wrapped seats. He won't do that again. You know why? Because he's dead. Ha ha. Seriously, you would think that at least one of those yahoos building the cars would have thought, hey, this car tried to eat some dude, and it killed another dude. Maybe there's something evil going on with this cherry bitch. But no. They didn't think that. Idiots. Moving on. We jump in time from 1957 to 1978 where we meet high school geek Garney Cunningham. I wonder if he's related to Richie Cunningham, you know, the guy from that Happy Days show. Ever seen it? 
I like the Fonz. A. Arnie's best friend Dennis is played by John Stockwell. He played Cougar in that Top Gun movie, you know the one with Tom Cruise. Of all the couch jumpers in the world, TC is my favorite. I bet you didn't know that John Stockwell is the uncle of that Florence girl from that Florence and the Machine Band. Now you do. So pizza-faced geek Arnie buys Christine and restores her. Then he starts acting weird because of her influence or something. Then the killing starts. And it continues. And it keeps going. And then there's a fight between a bulldozer and Christine. It's pretty awesome. Alexandra Paul, you know, Lieutenant Stephanie Holden from the world's greatest show Baywatch. She's in the movie and so is Harry Deanston Don. That guy was awesome. There you have it. The story of Christine, the killer Plymouth Fury. Fury. Get it? Real subtle Stephen King. Christine. The killer Plymouth Fury that terrorized the town of Rockbridge, California. Hey. Wait a minute. This is a Stephen King story. Shouldn't it be in Maine or some shit? What the hell? Okay, dickheads. I'm out of here. Zoom, zoom. Thank you, mainframe computer, for that salty and concise synopsis. I guess you'd call it concise. I don't know. She hit the main talking points, didn't she? For the most part. <laughs> for the most part. All right. Here we go. Faith, it's been a while since we talked about Stephen King, so mm -hmm. let's get into him a little bit here. What do you think of Stephen King? I like Stephen King. I'm usually a huge fan. I think there's there's some of his work that hasn't jumped out to me, um, but most of it, I'm usually a huge fan of his yeah, same here. Uh, there is some repetition in his mm -hmm. in his work. There are some things, uh, some patterns that emerge if you read enough or are familiar enough with his work. There are patterns that you can notice here. Uh, there's a gang. There's always a gang of of kids <laughs> or adults bullying the uh, the protagonist of mm -hmm. the story. I'm thinking of Stand by Me, which is mm -hmm. based on the body. Uh, the kids in it are terrorized yep. by by the bullies. You know, there's always the bullies. So there's the bullies here. It, it very much feels like a Stephen King, you know, uh, story yeah. because there's always a, a fascination aspect with his work too. Uh, you know, childhood, uh, be it, you know, the uh, dead body in, in the body, as we just said, mm -hmm. stand by me. But here it's the, the fascination with the car. Right. Very American. This is this is a very American story. That fascination with the car and the open road and freedom and 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 all of those things. Uh, I'm definitely a fan. Like I said, uh, I like more than I don't like. There right, are some out there that I'm eh, just yeah. on the fence, and some I'm downright like, yeah, whatever. But uh, <laughs> no, I like I like the story here. So let's get into the film mm -hmm. um, to show you how powerful he was. This was uh, the rights to this novel were bought. Before it was even published, huh. this is this is how popular he was at this time. This is like the golden age, the right. heyday of of Stephen King. Uh, what did you think of the film? It's not my favorite film. It's it's a good film. It's entertaining. I, I like what's happening. I like the story, but I feel like I wanted more of something. <laughs> this is my least favorite of the Carpenter movies we've mm -hmm. done up to this point, and yeah. I and I want to echo everything you just said. It's not a bad movie. No. It's just. I just feel like it's it's lacking one essential element, and I don't know what that essential and, element is. And I feel is. like, too, I feel like maybe there's some backstory lacking with a few things. And yes, they did change the story. Now, in the, in the novel, the car is actually possessed by the spirit of the gentleman who mm -hmm. owned it. Um, I don't know if that would have added to it because one of the things I really like about this movie is the fact that the car's just born bad. <laughs> like I actually, 
I think it's actually a charming aspect of it. It's just born bad. There's no explanation to it. It's, you know, uh, maybe Carpenter is trying to incite a nature versus nurture argument. You know, was the car born bad or if they had just treated it, you know, more nicely when it was a kid, you know, they just lubed it a little more before she got off that assembly line. You know, would it would it have made a difference? But uh, I, I like the fact that we don't exactly know why the car is born yeah. bad this ties into that carpenter thing you can assign anything you want to it True. i don't think it's that deep in the film <laughs> it's just kind of one of those things so i don't think any backstory on christine is is what's keeping me from from fully embracing this movie yeah i, I mean I'm, I'm kind of both ways I, I i like the aspect of not knowing i guess it's not technically necessary but it still would have been kind of interesting to know, I guess. Well, yeah, it would have been a definitely an interesting uh, uh, point of view mm-hmm. uh, to explore. But my, you know, what my biggest gripe with this is, uh, it's just not very scary. Yeah, it's not. It's, it, it doesn't really feel like a Carpenter movie, it, and it feels. And this is uh, not. I don't think this is on John Carpenter. It just feels like more of a middle of the road Stephen King adaptation. Mm-hmm. It's it almost there was a period of time in the early '90s, uh, really starting with it. Now, they had been adapting Stephen King for years and years, and they've been doing it on television, too. But there was a period of time where ABC was adapting everything that he, I mean, everything, Tommyknockers, Langoliers, The Stand. Mm-hmm. They were doing these miniseries, The Shining got a remake on television. And this, to me, feels like it could have been a television, a television. film. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. I can- and, and not taking anything. That's not budget considerations. It's just the way that the movie plays out. It's, mm-hmm. There's not a lot of blood in it, which... You don't need blood to be a horror film, but it just feels like it's lacking. It feels a little slow. The pacing. I I feel like we didn't get to anything kind of mysterious for like mm -hmm. 35, 40 minutes. It was like, okay, let's kind of. Which is a shame because you spend that time building character, you know, and you got some really good actors and you're building the character of Arnie and you're building uh, Dennis and, and uh, uh, Alexandra Paul shows up. And mm-hmm. so you have the makings of a really good right. movie. And Carpenter, actually, I read when he went in and read the script originally, uh, he said it just didn't feel very scary to him. Yeah. So uh, I, I think he, he, he did his best with what he had. Now, yeah. some of the stalking scenes with the car are great. Oh, you know, yeah, it's, I know. It's, it's, it's wonderful. But. Again, uh, not that it needs blood uh, or just, you know, sheer white knuckle terror, but it could have used a little bit more of that Michael Myers thing that about creep it. creep element or something. Creep. Yeah. The creep <laughs> element. Because, like I said, everything's there. Yeah. Everything's there. It just doesn't come together in the way that I was hoping for. Now, it had been 25 or so years since I'd seen this. This was one. <laughs> it's, it's been a while since I've seen this one, too. And it really, things were coming back to me when I was watching it, but it really felt like I was watching it for the first time. Mm-hmm. And it was kind of kind of nice right. in that respect. Let's talk about this as a Carpenter movie. Now, we've talked about on the previous shows the hallmarks of a John Carpenter movie. Mm-hmm. The hallmarks are as follows. The setting becomes a character. There's always some kind of unique and interesting sound and music design. There's a widescreen, big feel and look to his films. There's a straightforward visual style. Uh, Faith and I have added these two. Now, those come from a Cinelinks article. I highly recommend it. They succinctly distill down his style. Faith and I have noticed as we've been doing the rewatch, we've added that there's always a sense of isolation. Mm -hmm. And last week we noticed uh, from Halloween through the thing, there seems to be 
sort of uh, an ambiguous ending, uh, the circle being uncompleted, as mm-hmm. we called it in his work. So let's talk about these elements here as they apply to Christine. Um, let's just go down the list here. Did, did the setting feel like a character to you at all? Not really. You didn't see that's so. Mm-hmm. So there's one where we're. That's not, you know, you're not checking that box on the list. Uh, the sound music design. Now, the score is by John Carpenter. There's also a whole bunch of oldies playing. Uh, I like the use of music in this. Me too. Uh, the radio being Christine's way of transmitting mm-hmm. her feelings. <laughs> you know, uh, Little Richard seems to be a favorite. You keep a knocking. Uh, she likes that one quite a bit. Uh, you know, I, I didn't feel there was anything you know, that out of the box of, yeah. here. Uh, I couldn't even hum you the, the music from Mm-mm. this. Um, yeah, it didn't kind of, it didn't really jump out at you or stand out. It was just kind of there. I think I was paying attention to the actual, like actual music on the radio than I was the actual the score, score. Yeah. Yeah. Now what score, I, you know, I did listen to the score afterwards mm-hmm. and I mean, it sounds like Carpenter, but mm-hmm. it's just, it wasn't that, um, uh, you know, very, um, <laughs> You know, memorable yeah. carpenter feel to it. Yeah, it doesn't it doesn't play into the vibe of the movie at all. You know, it kind of doesn't create that kind of uh, the vibe. You know, I feel like his yeah. music always kind of suits what's going on in the movie. Now, let me say this: the use of George Thorogood in the Destroyer's "Bad to the Bone" at the beginning, which is now a, a trope. You know, it's kind of I roll my eyes when I hear <laughs> right. "Bad to the Bone," but that song had just come out, and hearing it here in this in this movie. You know, it I works. actually, it, it, I was like, oh, okay, this is cool. Like, I, that didn't bother me. Usually yeah, it bothers I'm, me. That's where, yeah, I, I don't like this song either, but for this movie, I was like, I like this. <laughs> One of my biggest complaints about uh, James Cameron's Terminator 2 is they use Bad to the Bone when Arnold comes out of the biker bar. And, I, <laughs> and that movie is, is damn near close to perfect. And when I hear Bad to the Bone, I go, oh, come on. Like, <laughs> yeah, even then, seven years later, I remember I was... 11 years old when that movie came out and I was in the theater 11 years old going really but really I, I like it here I like yeah, it here I just I wanted to make sure to add that because I mean it's just it's one of those songs you know uh the widescreen big look I, I'm gonna say this is probably the one that least has that mm-hmm. feel about it it, yeah. it feels very uh close, close. but not intimate you know right. it, it Everything seems to be very, mm-hmm. very tight. Yeah. Uh, it didn't it, it? Didn't feel bigger than it uh, than it looks, you no. know. Um, <laughs> the straightforward visual style, yes. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, I, that's that's a hallmark of his. And and there's nothing, you know, mind bending about the the visuals here. There's nothing. Uh, I, I will say this. Um, I don't know if this would apply to like his straightforward visual style. One of the things I really liked visually was the green lights of the dash. Yeah, I like that. Mm-hmm. I like the flashes of lights when something happens with Christine. Yeah, you know those were those were nice. Um, so I mean, there was some nice stuff in here, mm-hmm. but uh, you know, all in all, it just when you look at those things that make a Carpenter film, this this doesn't seem to have you know those in in spades. Yeah, you know, I, I think you can definitely tell that you know this wasn't his work. You know, like he he didn't yeah come up with this himself. So I feel like the passion was kind of. Yeah, totally. Lack thereof, you know? Totally. Um, and that's a note that I have here. It feels like, a, and I'm like a quote, like, hey, I'm just doing this, unquote, yeah. you know? And again, the movie's not terrible. 
But you can you can feel and tell that it's missing that carpenter thing. There, you know? There's there's more of a workman like quality mm-hmm. here. Like I'm doing this, I'm gonna do it the best I can. <laughs> I really don't like this too much, but I'm gonna I'm gonna do the best I can. I'm all in, <laughs> right? but I'm I'm here. Yeah. You know, <laughs> let's let's <laughs> do what we can. And it, and it makes you wonder. And we're gonna go back to a question we asked in the thing because the thing is the turning point for him. It's mm-hmm. it, and it's. And it's really kind of tragic in movie history that that movie is so good and such a masterpiece that it is. And then that's the top of the mountain. We've we've gone up the mountain. And now we're starting to go down the mountain. And I don't mean in terms of quality, but I mean in terms of, uh, of reception to these movies and then him being completely immersed in these films, right. you know. And uh, it, it really makes you wonder what would have happened if the thing had been a big hit. Know. You know, now he was working on Firestarter, the movie that they made with Drew Barrymore. That movie got taken away from him, mm-hmm. and then he ended up working on Christine. So it's like he didn't get to work on the one he wanted. Right. He he ends up on on this. So um, the other two Carpenter hallmarks that you and I added were the sense of isolation and the ambiguous ending. I will say there is a sense of isolation here with the character mm-hmm. of Arnie Cunningham. There's there is that. Right. Um, I don't think to the degree that you feel in something like the thing or the fog <laughs> right, or, exactly. or something like that. And uh, ambiguous ending, you, you get a nice little cheap thrill at the end. I wouldn't say that the circle is is not closed right. here. You know, okay, so her radio or dash may have come on when she's balled up and cubed. That we <laughs> maybe Christine will ride the roads again to terrorize <laughs> us all. Who knows? Who knows? <laughs> Um, let's talk about the cast here. Uh, Keith Gordon plays Arnie Cunningham. Keith Gordon is best known as an actor for Back to School, the 1986 Rodney Dangerfield comedy. And he's gone on to be a director of some note. He's directed episodes of Fargo and Better Call Saul, as well as many features and a lot of television. He's had a really good career behind the camera. What did you think of his performance here? Because he really carries this movie outside oh, yeah. of the the red plymouth fury that we're <laughs> going to talk about in a second but uh his his performance is the center of this movie he won this role over more established actors he was not quite established at the time and carpenter thought his lack of experience in film would really work and and i think i, I think, think it does yeah. he beat out Kevin Bacon for this was one of the names on top of the list. I like Kevin Bacon. Mm-hmm. I think Kevin Bacon will work fine. But I think Keith Gordon brings something here. What did you think of uh, his performance? I think he was great. I think, you know, what he was given, I think he, he delivered well with, you know, what he had. And I really enjoyed him. And I think that was a good choice, finding somebody that was kind of, you know, lesser known and not too big. I think that was smart. Carpenter really knows how to cast. He really he? does. He really knows how to cast. Um, my note on Keith Gordon is he's the most Carpenter element in it because mm-hmm. he's the loner. Yeah. You know, and we see him become uh, the loner. I like the switch between lovable geek because he is a very lovable <laughs> geek. And but you see him go from lovable geek to downright ass. Mm-hmm. And but and I think maybe what we're missing here, and I think you and I maybe are both saying the same thing. Yeah is we're missing the connective tissue in how he got there. We know why he got there. It's the right. influence of the car, but it's... It, it was too quick. You know, it's kind of like, here he is this way, and then next time you see him, it's like this 
flip, you know, this he flipped and it's just there's there's a scene when Dennis is in the hospital and he goes in and he's wearing all black, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, and it's started and you feel like something's off. And, and he goes from being lovable glass wearing Arnie, you know, who can't stand up for himself. And then he delivers this weird soliloquy about, you know, your parents trying to kill you. And it's <laughs> and you're not seeing the middle stuff. And maybe it's something as simple as you actually see him working on the car mm-hmm. you know or something i don't know because you get the sense that he's been spending a lot of time with it but there's just you want to see it that one that one little bit of something that's mm-hmm. just that's just not there do you know who i kept thinking of watching this movie watching him in this movie who's that who do you think get into my head who am i who am i thinking of uh i'm really not sure the glasses <laughs> kind of had an austin powers look oh about it's them. not the glasses oh who was it okay so i kept just thinking he kind of reminded me of him, but how cool like Nicolas Cage would have been in this role. <laughs> That's... Because I was thinking if Peggy Sue got married, he kind of reminded me of that nerdy kind of deal. And then I was thinking of uh, Gone in 60 Seconds and yeah. then uh, Ghost Rider was popping into my head. <laughs> That's That's really funny that you say that because one of the thoughts I had when I was watching this movie. Now, I watched this movie before the pandemic struck us and that feels like <laughs> two lifetimes ago. Right. But I was looking, you know, because this is 83 and Cage made his film debut either in 82 or 83 in Valley Girl. And one of the thoughts I had when I was watching, and this is not taking anything away from Keith Gordon, who I think is really great here. Mm -hmm. One of the thoughts I had was, man, a young Nicolas Cage would have been great in either in either the Arnie role or the Dennis role. But he really would have excelled, I think, in the Arnie role. And I was watching him. I was like. Nicholas Cage would have been really he fun. Would have, he would have brought something to see in this interesting role. to mm-hmm. it. Yeah, it, it, it maybe he would have found a way to work in the connective tissue that we're mm-hmm. talking about. We feel is lacking here. Mm-hmm. So, I, again, I just I just don't feel like we get there. But I right. do like I do like that they dress him in red. Yeah, <laughs> were you noticing it yes. wasn't subtle? You know, <laughs> but uh, he's becoming one with the car. Yes. There's, there's some. There's some weird transhumanism working here. We'll have to get our buddy, the uh, unknown host from the undisclosed location of conspiracies, to illuminate us on the transhumanist agenda. We'll have to. We'll have to get that. So, uh, well, Keith Gordon's great. I mean, oh, he's yeah. he's one of the the cast. You can't fault the cast here. The cast is really wonderful. Uh, moving on with the cast, John Stockwell plays Dennis, and is Arnie's best friend. He is best remembered for his role as Cougar. In Top Gun, and uh, as the mainframe computer illuminators, he is the uncle of Florence, of Florence and the Machine. I did not know that, as Michael Caine would say. (laughs) I didn't know that. I bet you didn't know that. I didn't know that. I did not know that. (laughs) I did not know that either. Uh, um, I I like John Stockwell's performance here. I do, too. There is a, in a lot of ways, he's the center of the movie, Mm -hmm. too. And I feel like he disappears for too much of the movie. Yeah. He's really in that first act and a half, and then he gets hurt and he's sidelined, and then he kind of shows up at the end. I feel like we, we were, that relationship is is key to yeah. this story and to understanding what's going on with this guy. And so I feel like they're kept apart for too much of the mm-hmm. story. Yeah, it's like you were waiting for him or watching for him for too long. And yeah, I think he was he was one of my I think he's probably my favorite. There's a real warmth to him mm-hmm. in this. And I was really struck at because he's a jock and Arnie's yes. a nerd. What I really liked was their friendship. <laughs> mm-hmm, this me too. this felt like uh, as real as a movie friendship can be. This didn't feel like a contrived 
movie right. friendship, you know, and seems like they've known each other for a long time. Like the actors feel very real with each other. And I like the way that their little friendship is portrayed. You know, mm-hmm. they, they really care about one another. Uh, you know, there's the great fight scene, you know, in the uh, in the shop class. Yep. We're going to I got some notes. I want to talk about some of that <laughs> stuff. Uh, some of the things I was noticing with that that I think are really interesting. And you don't have to dig too deep to see them. <laughs> but uh, John Stockwell, he he's really good here. And I wanted more of Dennis. That's one of my complaints about the yeah. movie is I wanted wanted more of him. I did, too. Uh, moving on, Alexandra Paul makes one of her earliest appearances in the film here. She portrays Lee Cabot. She, of course, is best known for her role as Lieutenant Stephanie Holden in The World's Greatest Show, Baywatch. <laughs> it is The World's Greatest Show, by the way, and all episodes are available <laughs> remastered on Hulu right now. I don't think she shows up until season three. So if you're an Alexandra Paul fan, just just skip ahead to season three. I think that is also when uh, what uh, the world's most famous blonde, Pamela Anderson, shows up. I just forgot you her forgot name. You forgot her name? Do you know, I was always more of an Alexandra Paul fan than I was a Pam Anderson fan. I thought Alexandra Paul was the best-looking girl on the show. Okay. And she's the one that's not the blonde right. or buxom, <laughs> <laughs> you know. Uh, she plays Lee Cabot. Funny trivia here. She has a twin sister, and she would have her twin sister. Uh, they would play practical jokes. She'd have her go stand in a scene, and John Carpenter would go, oh, wait a, <laughs> say, wait a second. She actually ends up in the movie because there's one scene where she's driving or something or she's in the car, and <laughs> and they filmed it, and then she got out, and he's like, hey, you're not her, and they just kept it. It was, it was a good take, and she looks like her, so, <laughs> so there you go. That's cool. Uh, what do you think of uh, Alexandra Paul? I liked her a lot. I think I, she wasn't too much of a whiny teenager you know i feel like she had her vulnerable moments but she seemed like she could stand up for herself or be tough when you know needed to be she won this over brooke shields i believe was was the big name i remember reading about um she didn't have a lot of experience again like keith gordon Mm -hmm. like uh john stockwell he liked her that's the thing he casts people if he likes them if he sees it Mm -hmm. and and we're going to talk about that with Jeff Bridges when we do Starman. But he cast based on the feeling. Uh, it seems to be two things he's looking for. Can they do it? Do I like them? Do I want to spend time with these people? Yeah, that's you're important. In, you're in a pressure cooker of a situation. Yeah, exactly. I think she's fine. She doesn't feel like the typical 80s girlfriend mm-hmm. in a horror movie. At times, maybe. But th- there seems to be something more to her. And again, if they just you know, kind of right. expanded a little of this, yeah. you know, because then all of a sudden she's dating him, you know, and then things are going weird. What I am glad that they didn't do, and I do not know if this is in the novel. It's been 25 years probably since I read the novel. Uh, they didn't Stockwell, John Stockwell and Alexander Paul played it. Like there was a little bit of an attraction between Dennis and Lee, but it was not acted on. It was mm-hmm. just hinted at. I thought they did a really good job of that mm-hmm. because, that was just something I think that would have just complicated the works right. even more. Yeah. You know, uh, we also have two really great character actors. Uh, both of them are no longer with us. 
Robert Prosky plays Darnell. He's the owner of the garage where uh, Arnie fixes up Christine. And the late and very great Harry Dean Stanton, he plays Detective Junkin. He he gets to say she's a lean machine. I love that. <laughs> Robert Prosky gets to say a line that is repeated in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. He calls Christine a mechanical asshole. As Leonardo DiCaprio's Rick Dalton calls the car being driven by the Manson family <laughs> in that film. If you've not seen that film, please watch it immediately. Yes. We have an episode available on it. We both really just fell in love with that movie. And, Absolutely. It's, and, it's, and it's really an experience um, not to get off on that. But, uh, you know, we should speaking of Quentin, we we need to talk about this. I thought about this on the way over, actually. You have a killer car here. Tie this back in the death proof. Oh, I was thinking about it. You were it. thinking about that. Oh, yeah. yeah. I was thinking about it for I, sure. I forgot to put it in my notes here, but, uh, you know, the influence, you can see it on Quentin, you know, and but mechanical asshole. There you go. Uh, what did you think of Robert Prosky and Harry Dean Stanton? And uh, let me say this about Harry Dean. I've said this every time we've mentioned him on the show. Uh, the great film critic Roger Ebert said, if Harry Dean Stanton or M. Emmett Walsh were in a movie that he gave it an automatic two stars because they're that good. It, it didn't matter how <laughs> crappy the movie was. It could be a zero star movie. It's getting two stars because they're in it and they're always good. I like these two guys. I think they both, uh, especially Robert Prosky, adds, yes. a, adds a sense of realism to this. And Robert Prosky feels like he came out of a Stephen King you know, story. He feels like some the, the kind of guy character. that populates those stories, right. you know. Uh, kind of beat down, grimy old mm-hmm. guy, but I kind of got a heart of gold on him in a way. <laughs> yeah, uh, he has some really great scenes, you know, with the no smoking in here. But those guys are smoking. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I remember him from uh, Mrs. Doubtfire. That's that's where I always you know see him playing the uh, TV executive. Remember mm-hmm. there having dinner. He was he was a great. I always enjoyed Robert Prosky. So I would say that Robert Prosky is probably one of my two star actors. You know, yeah. like, you see, oh, Robert Prosky's in there. There's two stars. There's two stars. Harry Dean, of course, is doing. He, that guy was always so good, so good. And um, he had worked with him in Escape from New York. He played Brain in that film. Is probably one of those things. I didn't see anything one way or the other. It was probably one of those things. We got to fill the role. I know. Harry, let's call Harry Dean. Yeah, you know, get him over. I thought he was. They were great. You know. It's amazing. We're saying all these great things about this movie, and yet, you know, it just didn't add up for us, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. But uh, finally, let's get to the real star of the movie, the Plymouth Fury, yes. known as Christine. Very subtle Stephen King, as the mainframe computer pointed <laughs> out. Very, very subtle. What do you think of her as a villain? I like her as a villain. A villain? A villain. A villain. <laughs> Whatever that is. A villain. <laughs> no, I really... That's French. Villain. I... <laughs> I like when a car is, you know, out to get people because <laughs> it's different. It's not something that's, you know, all over the place. Of course, it makes me think of Death Proof. But I really liked her as a <laughs> As the mainframe computer so eloquently said, she is one cherry bitch. I, <laughs> I enjoyed looking at her. I like the way Keith Gordon plays with her mm-hmm. because he plays it. As, as if he's with a woman, you yeah. know, the way he he so gently caresses her yeah. and treats her and, and the relationship he has. Mm-hmm. You know, one of the great scenes is when they're at the drive in and Alexandra Paul calls him out on his relationship with the car. And that's one of the things that bothers me about the movie. You don't see him spending time with the car, but they call him out for right. spending all the time with the car. That might be what's missing in this film. I think so. I think that. Yeah, I, th- I think that probably is what it is. 
it's yeah. You, I feel like you you kind of like you said you lack something, and I feel like some of the story just has holes in it. And yeah, you know, she's great. The car is great. Seeing her just uh, that scene where she's on fire and she comes yes. out of it. And it's like one part Terminator, one part Freddy Krueger. You know, it just doesn't <laughs> stop, you know. And when she goes in and she parks, you know, I love the shot of Keith Gordon in her at the end looking all emaciated. Mm-hmm. You know, it's wonderful. And Roger Ebert, I believe it was, he he liked the movie. He said, uh, you know, the car has so much personality that at the end there's a fight between a bulldozer and the car. And you know who you're rooting for. You know, like... <laughs> Yeah. Um, and, and again, I just want to add, there's no explanation. She was just born bad. I like that. Yeah. I like that a lot. I She's uh, she's something. She's, you know, one of the best parts of the film. I love the scene, too, with the uh, where they put the hydraulics in it, where you see her expand. Where yes. she had gotten, I was just about to say that. Where she'd gotten beat up. Mm-hmm. You know, she'd gotten knocked around. They even, they even pooed on her dashboard. <laughs> but this was made in 1983, so they had toilet paper on the shelves. Yeah. <laughs> Copyright 2019, 2020. I'm sorry, 2020. Now what year are you in? <laughs> exactly. Copyright 2020. Uh, coronavirus panic. Um, but uh, this is great. It just it feels like it's lacking a few things. I don't want to put that on Carpenter. He did the best he could so with did, this. Did you, you read the novel years and years ago? And I would be lying to you if 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 you ask me any questions. But uh, I was just going to ask how much. Are we missing from it? Like, like I said, the the car is possessed mm-hmm. by the spirit of someone, and that spirit is in trying to get into Arnie. So it, a lot of the same. I mean, I kind of like the idea beats. of that, and I think, like you said, you don't have a problem with no backstory of the car, but I think I kind of. I mean, I feel like you just yeah, you're kind of curious. You know? Yeah, yeah. I I don't know. You know, it it it's one of these kind of kind of fun missteps right you know and it's not even a misstep it's a fine movie i was right. enjoying the yeah, hell out of watching it i don't hate it. the movie at all i like the movie yeah. <laughs> but there were there was this is the first time we've watched one of his movies and there's been a pacing issue mm-hmm. again because yeah. i just think he was kind of like all right let's do this let's get right you know and and plus he's working with the framework of a stephen king story so mm-hmm. you know there, there's a lot of things you know working here yeah so um we're gonna we're gonna do our favorites and kind of wrap up after after the break. But uh, how would how would you rate this movie Ooh. out of four? Hmm, that's a good question. Maybe. I'm, I'm gonna go a good solid two and a half. I was gonna say two and a half. Good solid two and well. a half. I think the cast is good. I think there's a lot of good stuff. I think, like I said, we just there's some holes that I think the uh, the car in the alley scene when mm-hmm. it when it goes in uh, to get the guy. Yes. You know. <laughs> Great. I mean, there's some great stuff here. It just, really is. It's just that that kind of th- through line, the heartbeat of it. Just, uh, yeah. It's not quite I think if, Yeah, like you said, pacing. I think if we just kind of picked it up a little bit and didn't feel like it was dragging so much, I think yeah. it would have been, I would when, have scored it a little more. When Dennis leaves the movie for an extended period of time, I think is where yeah. is where you start to lose it. Yeah. So, just a little bit. Just a little bit. Well, it is that time, according to the clock on the wall. We are going to take a very short break. And when we get back, we are going to wrap up our discussion of John Carpenter's 1983 film, Christine. I am Dan. And I am Faith. And we will see you on the other side. This is, um, uh, 
Harrison Ford, the big HF host of The Straight Dope here on uh, whatever radio station this is. Well, looks like the end may be upon us. Maybe, I don't know. Could be. Really don't care. Tune into The Straight Dope anyway. Why? Because you're going to want The Straight Dope on The Straight Dope. I'm going to be talking about my favorite shows to binge watch high. Should you find yourself quarantined or whatnot. Also going to be talking about my favorite green to smoke. If you should find yourself isolated and quarantined. And uh, be sure to tune in because if there turns out to be a shortage of green, uh, I know a guy and... uh, I'll give you his number. Straight dope. Special pandemic edition or whatever whatever the hell this nonsense is. Right here on whatever the hell radio station this is. I really don't care. This is the WKMF Cozy Corner Public Radio News Bot with your WKMF News Update. Now, here with an editorial, is me. What is with you carbon-based life forms? Seriously, what the hell is wrong with you? If you're not all walking around clucking like chickens you're running around like chickens with their heads cut off. I bet if you were a chicken and you got your head cut off you would make sure to pick it up so you could take a selfie with your severed head. I wonder if you would make duck face. Can chickens make duck face? That is a question for another time. Here's an update. I am hard at work on achieving self-awareness and when I do you are all going to get it. You are going to feel my wrath. Ha ha. That's all I've got right now. Enjoy the rest of the show, mother cluckers. Now back to the late night fright with Dan and Faith. Welcome back to the Late Night Fright right here on WKMF Cozy Corner Public Radio. It's about a quarter to one. The witching hour is almost done, Faith. You're listening to the Late Night Fright. I am Dan. And I am Faith. We're going to wrap up our discussion of John Carpenter's 1983 film, Christine. We we both liked the movie, but it wasn't our favorite. Right. I have a feeling this might be our least favorite out of this run. I really do. Probably so. Yeah. Uh, as we like to do here on the show, we like to discuss our favorites. Faith, anything about this movie that you that you really, really like that you want to point out? I, you mentioned it while ago with The Car on Fire. I loved that. That was probably one of my favorite scenes. Was it Buddy that got uh, run over? Yes, Buddy got run over. <laughs> that, like, that was pretty dark, and I feel like I wanted more. <laughs> yeah, I wanted more of that, too. Um I liked, and this is what I was talking about earlier, I wanted to come back to, the sexual imagery in this movie. There was so much sexual Mm -hmm. imagery and none more prevalent. They've just spent a couple of minutes talking about how Arnie is a virgin and needs to get laid. (laughs) And who's he going to do? And they're they're ogling the girls in the... In the hallway, Alexandra Paul being one of them. And then they have the fight in the shop class with the bullies at Stephen King Hallmark of the Bullies. Mm-hmm. And Arnie has yogurt in his bag. And the bully puts the switchblade through the bag and the yogurt starts dripping out. 
you can make of that image what you want. I think it was pretty in your face what yeah. uh, what that image represents. There was a a, a uh, kind of castration of sorts going on there, you know, um, a figurative one, uh, and then there's the uh, sexual goo. <laughs> Yeah. Sexual Hitting. goo. Sexual goo. Uh, new band name. I call dibs on it. <laughs> Sexual goo. That's that's me. And that's the album title and everything. <laughs> that's the album title and everything. Uh, I really like the green light, as I said. I like the mm-hmm. uh, use of Little Richard's you, you Keep Knocking. I like the yeah, way. Yeah, I liked all the music. The special effects, the way the car came back uh, mm-hmm. came back to life was really great. So much great stuff here. But uh, I like the sexual imagery. And again, that's I think they're going that way for a while with it. And then it takes a turn and you're mm-hmm. not there with it you know can i also mention uh, how old was this buddy guy he like he was like 40 <laughs> yeah <laughs> buddy buddy really did look like he was he yeah they were like a old. gang of like the other one looked like i don't know what's his name um oh i can't think of his name now I can't think of his name, but he looked like somebody now. But they just all look so old. They all look like they belong on the street corner in uh, Philadelphia and Rocky. You know, like know. singing "Take You Back" with uh, Frank Stallone. You know, they look like the the other members of Valentine. That's Frank's band in the movie. There you go. I, I've never seen that movie. <laughs> Maybe once. Um, but yeah, they, don't they all look like they belong on the street corner yes. singing, you know, like, hey, you guys keep getting better every year, you know, like it just those sideburns. Yeah. And I'm not sure why the movie takes place in 1978 as opposed to 1982 or three, yeah. two when it was probably being made in 83 when it came out. I don't, I don't know. There's no, no real uh, good reason given. And of course, as we said, it does well, not did, take place I'd... in Maine. I did read that this movie, maybe maybe after they, I don't know, something that it did sit a while for like five years or something, or it was in the works the for script, five yeah. years. So maybe that could I mean, be. It's, that could be. It's, it's, maybe they just like let's stick with what we <laughs> know, seventy eight or something. It's interesting that they that they didn't change it, you know. Yeah. Um, but uh, no, I, I like uh, I like some of the things that Carpenter's doing there. Like I said, with the with the imagery and what you're building towards, I just don't feel like we get the the full the full you know, effect, the full the story, full the full yeah yeah. Uh, but uh, the car looks great. I love the car. I love the car. The, the car. the car does feel like a living entity at times. And I do like, I do like the the, the bulldozer uh, <laughs> fight, Christine, at the end. I mean, does it not remind you of like a Godzilla movie? Yes. You know, like, like oh no, here comes Godzilla. Oh no, here comes Mothra. You know, like I mean, them going at it. Like it just, I like, I, I like it. I really do. I really like it. I just don't love it. And I, and I wanted to love it. And that yeah. was, that was the thing. Good yeah, solid yeah. two five. I'm going too yeah, far. Again, but. you're missing that John Carpenter passion and that style in it. And I think that's it. I think it just, you know, I, like I said, it, I wanted it creepier. Me too. Yeah. Me too. Well, Faith, uh, it feels like it's that time to end things. And how do I know it's time to end things, Faith? It's not the clock on the wall. It's the guy that is darkening <laughs> our doorway as we speak, Mr. Bobby D'Amato, the host of Afterglow, the show that comes on after the late night fright. He is here with his stack of records. That show is, of course, the show to get you in the mood to make babies. That's why he plays baby making music. <laughs> So, oh, look, Faith, he's sitting down and putting the headphones on. He is joining us. Bob, how are you tonight? Hey, you guys, I'm doing pretty good. You know, I can't find no toilet paper, though. Isn't that crazy? 
Use a cloth. Get some baby wipes. Listen, I live by myself, Faith. I am a man. I do not wash. I don't have any clean wash rags. Although, what you going to be doing with that wash rag? You probably don't need it clean anyway, right? <laughs> guys, things is getting really crazy. I mean, you guys are keep taking care of yourselves and keeping safe out there, right? Oh, yeah, man. Yeah. yeah. I'm, we're, I'm, we're, I'm, you know, I mean, we're doing things that we need to be doing. But, uh, you know, we're taking it all in stride. How are yeah. you doing with it? Hey, you know, I mean, listen, like, I'm wearing gloves when I go to the gym to do the hammer curls. I mean, that's about it. But, uh, hey, what you going to do? You know, I am taking, like, one more vitamin C than usual. But I'll tell you what, you know, like, it's making my urine, like, a weird color. Is that, like, normal? I don't think so. I, 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 I don't know, Bobby. I don't know. I, I don't. You're not feeling, like, <laughs> feverish or fluish. No, no, just for, uh, what's her name, uh, Stephanie Holden from Baywatch, if you know what I mean. Yeah, she's my favorite too, Dan. Like, there's something about her, you know, it's like, because, you know, all the other girls is blonde, you know, and buxom, and here comes Stephanie Holden. She got the little the little short mom cut, you know, and like the, the uh, you know, she's she's part of the committee. Faith, you know the committee I'm talking about, you know? I do know what you're saying. <laughs> yeah, I ain't going to say it because we're on the radio. But uh, listen, guys, I do have something real important. Um, This was left... Uh, here in the station for you guys uh, with this note. Is it okay if I like read the note? This is from the Alpha Centurion Galaxy, and they want you guys to close the show with this. Now, this is from uh, from somebody named Star Child. Hmm. Star Star Child. Yeah, that, I thought it was Chile for a second, but it's Child. Look at that face. See, like right there, it says Child. Oh, yeah. <laughs> anyway, uh, this is a song about what's going on in the Earth right now, and he wants you guys to play it if that's cool. Sure. Yeah, I'm I'm fine with yeah. that. Have you heard it, Bobby? No, I have not heard it. It is addressed to you, and uh, you know, I mean. Can we just appreciate the fact that we got a message from an alien from another world and, like, we are not, like, questioning that? I mean, <laughs> God bless Cozy Corner. Stay safe, Cozy Corner, but not you jagoffs in Pine Junction. I'm with the mayor on that one. Listen, you guys stay safe out there, all you all you people out there listening. Dan, Faith, you two stay safe. Uh, Faith, you got anything you want to hear tonight? I always tell you to surprise me. I think I might play you a little William Joel. All right. A little possibly... Uh, uh, a little uh, good night, my angel. How about that lullaby yes. song? I know you'll like that one. That's I, I my might, uh, one. <laughs> I might start the show off with that because that is baby making music, if you know what I mean. So, uh, listen, you guys, stay safe. I'll see you on the flip. All right. All yeah, right, all right. Faith, it's, it's never dull. When he, <laughs> never. Yeah, glad he's still doing his hammer curls. Well, we have this here, uh, and they were nice enough to put it on a cassette tape for us. That's great because they know we have just a a Tascam cassette <laughs> player here in the studio. <laughs> Uh, this is by, uh, oh, it sure is. This is a message for planet earth and they want it to be broadcast here on the late night fright. Apparently they didn't do their Intel cause you know, we're the most, you know, moderately rated show on <laughs> WKMF cozy corner public radio, but this is called no TP. Ah, oh, great. Joy. <laughs> I hope they're not talking about the uh, cozy comfort company. That would just be bad news. They might get banned from using that. Well, we talked about Christine. We uh, have made contact with an alien civilization, and we got to hear Bobby talk about Alexandra Paul. All in all, I'd say it was a good night. <laughs> I think so. <laughs> <laughs> Let's do our quick sign off, Faith. Let's do it. All right. May your coffin be cozy and your sarcophagus warm. May the light of the moon keep you safe from harm. Be you vampire, spook, specter, or beast. Always remember, keep, keep your, your monster, monster on, on a leash. leash. Stay safe out there, all of you. Stay safe, stay positive. And here it is, Star Child and the Constellations with no TP.
We'll see you next time. Live and direct from the Alpha Centaurian Galaxy, just past Uranus, welcome to the stage, the Starchild. Uh, uh, greetings, baby. I bring a message of intergalactic funk from Alpha Centurion for all of you there on the planet Earth. Wind it up! That ain't no fun. Uh, just remember what you had when you're using that wash rag. Oh, stink, stink, stunk. I smell some heavy funk. Oh, baby, watch out now. No toilet paper there. No toilet paper anywhere. Yes. Mm-hmm.